It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. If you haven't watched Mean Girls, don't worry. Your pop culture credentials are still intact because chances are you probably have heard some of its most iconic lines. On Wednesdays, we wear pink. That is so fetch. It's been 20 years since Regina George and her pink-clad plastics first roamed their high school corridors and unleashed a wave of internet memes and parodies by Ariana Grande, Chris Kardashian and even Barack Obama. But look past the one-line zingers and you'll find a fascinating insight into the complicated politics and social hierarchies of teenage girls. This tricky time, which now begins in like third grade sometimes and, <laughs> and sometimes doesn't end until you're 60. You don't know how to relax and trust other women until you do. And for some people, it goes their whole life. As a new film is released in UK cinemas today, and a stage musical opens in the West End this summer, do Mean Girls still exist? And how did the original movie pave the way for women in comedy? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, how Mean Girls made fetch happen. So as Regina George would say, get in, loser. We're going back to 2004. I do remember the first time I watched Mean Girls. I had gone mainly because of Tina Fey. Tina Fey wrote it, and I was a huge fan at that time. Jennifer Keishan Armstrong was in her 20s when this teen movie sensation first came out. She's a pop culture historian and a Mean Girls expert. So much so that she's just released her new book, So Fetch, The Making of Mean Girls, and why we're still so obsessed with it. And the thing that I remember most about this was that there's a scene when, and I'm going to spoil it here, <laughs> Regina, <laughs> George is hit by a bus. You can take that fake apology and shove it right up your hair. And that's how Regina George died. No, I'm totally kidding. But she did get hurt. That's when I understood that this was 
a special teen movie. This is not like other teen movies that that this was not a fantasy sequence. Like she really got reamed by a bus. And you were really interested in the film because of Tina Fey. She's obviously very, very famous now for a number of things. But just remind us back then, what was she most known for in America? Yeah, it was kind of the beginning of Tina Fey. You know, she was the first female head writer of Saturday Night Live. I think what really put her on most people's radar was that she had started doing on-camera work. She had started being the co-anchor of the Weekend Update, kind of fake news section of SNL with Jimmy Fallon. And that really made her a sensation. Later this month, George W. Bush will make his first European trip as president, visiting Prime Minister Tony Blair in London. Hoping to make a good impression, Bush has spent the last week trying to learn a few English words. It's sort of strange looking back now when I was reading articles from that time, because it's a different time already, you know, it's 20 years ago. And it was a little shocking to see how much the writers kind of objectified her. How are you? You look fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm out of my suit. Yeah, that's right. Whenever we see you on the show, you've got that sort of, yeah, this, you ever going to try this on Weekend Update, you think? No. Little sex appeal. <laughs> hard uh, news. It's all about hard news. I mean, I cannot overstate how much this came up in early coverage of her. She's the hot, smart lady who does Weekend Update and wears glasses, and now she's written this movie. So it was kind of intriguing. It was like the beginning of us really starting to understand the breadth of her comedic voice. So for you and so many young women at the time, there's already this inspirational character, Tina Fey, and then there's the movie, which just becomes the defining movie of an era, really, for a generation. Just explain why it's such a seminal movie. You know, who is the generation it represents? Yeah, this really is a defining movie for the millennial generation. And probably more like for women and gay men of that era. But I've Mm. talked to plenty of straight men who also were pretty excited uh, to talk about Mean Girls. And I think that that's because of the fact that it's so funny. It's really funnier on a different level than I would say any teen movie that came before it. We had things like the John Hughes movies in the 80s, which were like funny, like chuckle softly to yourself. It is now 7.06. You have exactly eight hours and 54 minutes to ponder the error of your ways. Any questions? Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? And even something like Clueless, which is the closest thing, it's still a softer movie. Everyone's kind of cuddly in it. Everyone's pretty likable. Hello? There was a stop sign? I totally paused. You try driving in platforms. Oh, should I write them a note? Mean Girls had this edge to it. Even the main character, Katie, played by Lindsay Lohan, who is kind of supposed to be like, quote, the good girl, for lack of a better word, has an arc where she goes to the dark side. Why are you still messing with Regina, Katie? I'll tell you why, because you are a mean girl. You're a bitch. And so I think both allowing them to be incredibly funny and incredibly flawed made this feel like that moment when a generation sees itself reflected for the first time. And I suppose for a lot of people who may think they haven't seen it and they don't know anything about Mean Girls, there are probably still lines and quotes that they've heard 
repeatedly in normal modern life, which come back to that film. Exactly. Uh, Something that I've been comparing it to a lot because I also wrote a book about this is the TV show Seinfeld. And it's kind of a funny comparison at first, but I think it really holds up because both of them have almost their own language. If you find somebody who gets it and kind of lights up when you say one of these quotes, you're like, oh, this is one of my people. (laughs) And it also really worked in the way that you're talking about, which is it infiltrated the language so much that sometimes people might not realize they're using a quote from Mean Girls when they say it, because some of these things became so common. You know, I'm not a regular mom, I'm a cool mom. Or on Wednesdays, we wear pink. There's a Mean Girls quote for almost every occasion. What is it about it? Just talk us through the story of what happened to the film after it came out. You know, you saw it in the cinema at the time when it was first released 20 years ago. How is it still being talked about? It's important to note that this was a a surprise box office hit in its time. People did not think this was going to be particularly huge, and it was number one in America. And it showed this sort of new power of this generation of young women in particular as moviegoers that no one really believed they were going to go to the movies and they all did. And that generation is the generation that kind of made the early, you know, web 2.0 internet of the 2000s. And they actually had the first jobs making things like memes. It infiltrated at that level and proliferated out from there. And you would see the memes, you'd see it quoted President Obama used it. If people remember, there was a presidential dog named Bo, and they just had like a cute picture of Bo, and it said something like, Bo, stop trying to make fetch happen, which is a riff on the line from the movie. That is so fetch. Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Biden used it in a more campaign-like way, which was the get in loser, we're going shopping. But he was in his car and it was like, get in, loser, we're going to fix the economy or something to that effect. (laughs) And it really became this way of, for a time at least, seeming cool. It was a way of saying like, hey, millennials, (laughs) we're talking to you. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Enough to potentially swing elections. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Exactly. And the fact that it really is still catching on with new generations. I was almost, I was kind of skeptical, but it seems to be true. People were telling me over and over again that inevitably for girls' 12th birthdays, you you have to have a sleepover and watch Mean Girls, essentially. I actually, for the book, I gathered some local girls who are sixth and eighth graders. Six of the seven of them had seen it previously. And the seventh girl was very interesting because she kept saying all the lines. And then when Regina got hit by the bus, she screamed in surprise. And I said, but how how did you not know that that was going to happen? You knew all the lines. And she said she knew them from TikTok. TikTok is the most cutting edge social media we currently have. And the fact that this has made it essentially to TikTok is very telling. Coming up, 
how a parenting manual spawned a Hollywood hit. And what does the film say about human behaviour, even after you've graduated school? That's in just a moment. Before we get there, though, just a quick reminder that this weekend, Time subscribers can catch the latest episode of Inside the Newsroom. It's our brand new series on Apple Podcasts that takes you behind the scenes here at The Times. It's just for Time subscribers, and you'll find it on the Stories of Our Times feed. If you want to know how, visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash bonus podcasts. I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saeeda Farsi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Lots of people talk about us and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. So it's a, it's a film that continues to be incredibly influential. Where did the idea of Mean Girls come from? It, it actually began as a book, and it's something that kind of gets lost in the shuffle of all of this, but it began as a nonfiction book called Queen Bees and Wannabes by an author named Rosalind Wiseman. I wrote Queen Bees and Wannabes because I've been working with boys and girls for years. And I would do these parent coffees, orientations, and at the end of these, pro- of these programs, parents would come up to me, and I wanted to just write everything I possibly could for those parents. What it was was advice to parents about how to work with, manage their young daughters. So this is a parenting manual. Right. So specifically in helping them deal with what the book calls relational aggression. (laughs) What exactly does that mean? It's such a social science term. You know what it means? It means mean girls. (laughs) That's, That's the genius of this is that mean girls gave us a more colloquial label for talking about this thing that's extremely common, which is the exact behavior that powers the movie's plot. So that kind of passive-aggressive, manipulative use of relationships to gain and keep power is kind of the best way, I think, to think about it. What I know from working with girls for a long time is that oftentimes girls who are the closest of friends don't feel comfortable actually really, really being truthful to their friends, meaning that your friends know everything about you and they know what you're most sensitive about. And what I know for the most part is that the people who know you best know exactly what to say that will hurt the most. Rosalind had worked in schools. She would go to schools and kind of do workshops, interviewed hundreds of girls while doing it and used all of that information and knowledge to write this manual. And it was really a sensation right off the bat. It wasn't like because of Mean Girls, it was popular. It was kind of the opposite. There was a big article in the New York Times about Rosalind and her work. That, in fact, is where Tina Fey saw it for the first time and immediately wanted to see a copy of the book 
in hopes of adapting it for her first screenplay. I mean, just talk us through that. How realistic was that? And how realistic was was the way that teenage girls treat each other? I was surprised by how much of what was in Queen Bees actually made it into Mean Girls. I kind of figured it was all, you know, Tina Fey kind of just riffing on this relational aggression idea, when in fact, a number of very specific details from that made it in. So when the character of Janice gives Katie, the new girl, sort of a tour of the cafeteria and makes a map. That is something that comes directly from the book. Here, this map is going to be your guide to North Shore. Now, where you sit in the cafeteria is crucial because you got everybody there. You got your freshmen, ROTC guys, preps, JV jocks. They all have these kind of very specific names. It's like most of us who went to American high school, at least, look at those and go like, yeah, some of those were in my high school. You know, this, <laughs> that was a specific thing. Even the idea of drawing a map, she tells parents that they should have their kid draw a map like that so that they get a sense of what their kid is sort of dealing with. And something that really surprised me was... The fact that I never want to say which of these lines is the most famous, but I would say that one that's in the running is on Wednesdays we wear pink. Having lunch with the plastics was like leaving the actual world and entering girl world. And girl world had a lot of rules. You can't wear a tank top two days in a row, and you can only wear your hair in a ponytail once a week. So I guess you pick today. And... That struck me as so absurd when I saw it in the movie. I mean, funny, and I'm into it. But these girls, the girls in like the big, super popular groups, Rosalind documented them often having extremely elaborate rules about what they could wear and when. And so the idea that they would all have a thing that they do on the same day to kind of show that they are a tribe. Oh, and we only wear jeans or track pants on Fridays. Now, if you break any of these rules, you can't sit with us at lunch. But for the most part, girls don't really know what the rules are until they break them. And when they break them, they are very clear about what those rules are. The other thing it does, apart from the tribes, is, is the interaction between teenage girls. And, you know, it sets up these characters. You mentioned Regina, the one, the one who gets run over by a bus at one point. <laughs> what is she supposed to represent? She's the queen bee. So she is, you know, there is a musical version that has been on Broadway and is becoming a movie. And there is a song in that called Apex Predator. She's the queen of beasts. She can smell your fear in this biosphere. She's the apex predator, like a lioness, only with less fur. Do not mess with her. She's the apex predator. And what I think is funny, too, is Rosalind says this in the book, and it is somewhat reflected in the movie, that even those other groups that aren't the most popular, they each have a Regina, the main person that everyone else looks to in the group. But then there's uh, the one that's at the top of the group that is at the top of the pyramid, and that's who Regina George is. Do you think that laser focus on teenage girls' behavior and, you know, the unpleasant parts, too, which, as you say, in previous films tended to be glossed over... Is that why it was such a popular film? I think so. I think that it's not as if the concept of popular kids and not popular kids and all of that stuff it wasn't very well covered territory by that time. Clearly, this happens a ton in high school movies. But it was dealing more with the interactions among those girls who are in that group. 
And it also has, you know, we haven't really alluded to this yet, but I think it has quite a bit of empathy for even Regina and certainly just for the popular girls in general. You know, it goes into the group and shows us how hard it is and how much pressure they must be feeling if this is how they're acting to sort of maintain their power. But there's one scene in particular that also always stuck with me from the very beginning, which is they're all in Regina's gorgeous bedroom, looking in the mirror at themselves, and they all start naming what they think are their flaws. Apparently, there's a lot of things that can be wrong on your body. My hairline is so weird. My pores are huge. My nail beds suck. This is part of being part of the group is that you have to be like, oh, I have man shoulders or I'm too fat or I'm too this or even the very, very big plot point about how Regina wants to lose three pounds, I think it is, (laughs) which let me tell you, when you're an adult, three pounds is pretty funny. 120 calories and 48 calories from fat. What percent is that? Uh, 48 into 120. I'm only eating foods with less than 30% calories from fat. This all kind of, to me, shows you how much all of this means to them and how hard it must be to be in this position. Those are things that hadn't really been shown in films before. Not only sympathy for the not very lovable popular girls, but also (laughs) girls talking about worrying about their weight and their body issues. Did it change the way Hollywood started to treat films about girls? I do think it was part of an ongoing wave in the right direction. And I think it was part of this larger wave toward us finally starting to embrace very flawed women in our television and movies. And certainly you can also see, I would say, maybe as that generation grew up, you would see periodic kind of flashes of this again. So Bridesmaids, I think, is very much an outgrowth of Mean Girls. It comes years later, Mm. but it also allows a lot of raunch humor. It's very funny, and it's aimed at women. And for you, looking back on it now, you know, 20 years later, it's still very funny. Are there aspects of the film, though, that haven't aged very well? Definitely. I I think we talk about it so much partly because I guess things have changed so much in a relatively short period of time so that we're just constantly fascinated that we allowed so much of this to go. And we're like, that's fine. We were talking about the the groups. And there's, a I would say, the most problematic of that is the Asian girls who are all in group together and then are all revealed to be having affairs with the gym teacher who teaches sex ed. But I would say especially the racially tinged part of it does not look good from here at all. That is the biggest thing. But we were also talking about weight being an issue in this movie, which I think is legitimate. I think that is, unfortunately, a concern slash obsession still to this day of a lot of girls. But I would say at times it gets fat shamey in a way Mm. that we wouldn't necessarily do now. There's a group that's like girls who eat their feelings. We wouldn't talk about it that way now. There is now a musical version and there is a film coming too, another film mm-hmm. being made about mean girls. What was that? Oh Lord, it's the Queen Bee. Regina George. Don't look her in the eye. 
You could be really hot if you change, like, everything. Do you think in these versions, are some of those issues addressed? Yes. I, I know I've seen the stage play twice. It's definitely updated. Like, everything that made you cringe before is basically fixed in this version. I think it's interesting, too, because it just feels a little bit softened overall. And do you think, is this a film that will last? Is it one that we'll still be talking about in 20, 50 years' time? I think that the reason it has stood the test of time so far and that it feels so fresh is a little unfortunate in some ways because I think the universal truth at the center of it about, as we said, relational aggression, about the ways we treat each other and the ways we sort of grab for power among our relationships, that remains maybe more relevant now than it was when the movie came out, which is crazy. But I think it sort of anticipated things like the ways that bullying would get even worse with social media and things like reality television, which I would say are just versions of Mean Girls (laughs) to a large extent, right? Those group dynamics. Um, People often use it to talk about politics. People used it to refer to Donald Trump's behavior at times. This is not an age thing. This is not a gender thing. This is something we all understand and relate to. And I think just calling it Mean Girls was so brilliant because it allows us to use that phrase to refer in general to this sort of behavior. I don't know that this is the kind of behavior that we're ever going to evolve out of. Teenagers aren't going to get suddenly much nicer. Yeah. And we all do it. We do it at every level. I mean, I, for the book, I talked to Sherry Lansing, who was kind of a legendary CEO of Paramount, who was there at the time that they made Mean Girls. And she's very, very proud of the movie. But what she said to me was when she first read it, she thought, we have to make this movie because I relate to this so much. And she didn't really just mean from her high school days. She was like, this happened to me last week in a boardroom. It's always happening and people are always going to relate to it. And it's always going to be a compelling story for that reason. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, author and pop culture historian, Jennifer Keishan Armstrong. Jennifer's new book, So Fetch, The Making of Mean Girls, and why we're still so obsessed with it, is on sale now. If you're a subscriber, you can read an interview by The Times' Blanca Schofield with the new film's Regina George at thetimes.co.uk. The producer today was Sam Chantarasak. The executive producer was Fiona Leach. And sound design was by Mao Lissetto. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. We read all of them, I promise. Thanks for listening. See you again soon. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.